welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I am Ben Standing, and I cover the Washington football team for The Athletic. Do I have an episode for you? Jam, jam-packed. Not one, not two, three great guests to help us talk about the Washington football team this this week's game against the Kansas City Chiefs. What's going on with the big story in the NFL this week? How the investigation into the Washington football lead led to the end of John Gruden as Raiders coach and some Wizards talk. We're going to get to all that here in just a moment. To help me do that, though, here are the guests, the lineup. Starting left tackle for the Washington football team, Charles Leno. We talked football. We talked a lot about life and uh, off-the-field topics, but we also got into some things pertinent to the team. So I think you guys are really going to enjoy this interview with Charles Leno. Then we got to talk about the game Sunday, right? Um, Washington needs a win. They're going up against a team that also needs a win that is also the two-time AFC champion Kansas City Chiefs. Doing that with me, our Chiefs insider with The Athletic, Nate Taylor. A fun conversation there, getting into the ins and outs of two teams that are struggling on defense. But we know that for Washington... Stopping Patrick Mahomes is going to be everything. We'll get into all of that. And then lastly, um, as I mentioned, big NFL story this week that connects to Washington. It's There's, there's a lot of troubling things with it involving the story. It's also a lot of interesting components to this, is in, including what's happening here. What's going on behind the scenes that, some, that somehow these emails that implicated John Gruden and connected him to Bruce Allen when Bruce Allen was team president of Washington What's going on here? And so I did a little bit of tinfoil hat wearing with my friend uh, and, and noted uh, journalist, uh, smart journalist, uh, Patrick Ruby uh, is with me. And because Patrick and I connected originally over the Wizards, we also then spent half of our time together talking about the Wizards, um, kind of wh- where we're both at going into this year where it's a lot of different pieces uh, from when Patrick and I talked the last talk about this team. Very interesting uh, thoughts there. So a lot to get to, um, and and I'll, I'll just talk a little bit about what's going on this week out at the park, but we'll get to all that in a moment here on the Standard Room Only Podcast. You know the deal. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere you do your podcasting, including on The Athletic. And a quick reminder, you can, you can subscribe to The Athletic if you want to get a 50% off deal. Go to theathletic.com forward slash standig, my last name. You can get 50% off the whole the, the whole kit and caboodle. You can listen to the podcast ad-free. That's a good way to do it. Um, other than that, the pod will be here and wherever you're listening to it. And we can keep going that way. But obviously, you know, the more the merrier when it comes to joining uh, me over on The Athletic. Of course, you can find me on Twitter at Ben Standig. And here's a thought I had. Um, you know, I... I, I it's fun to connect with the people, with everybody out there, people, the, the, the listeners, the readers, people who are just interested in these teams. Um, and so what I thought I would maybe do is, um, so one reason I'm doing this bigger mega podcast is I'm trying to dial myself back to two episodes a week. For those who don't know, and I maybe have said this before, like the way it's kind of set up right now is like I'm doing everything. I'm obviously doing all the talking. You figured that I'm booking the guests on that, but I'm also doing a lot of the, the behind the scenes stuff. And it's just a lot of work, especially in season. So while I was doing three episodes for a bit, it just became to getting a bit much. 
So I thought I would do two. I, I'm not really going to try to have as long as an episode as this one is. It just kind of broke that way in part because of the whole story here with, with, with Gruden and Snyder and Bruce Allen. I felt compelled to talk to somebody and then Patrick and I had a fun conversation that went long. So I'm going to try to do two episodes a week. But that said, there may be room to do a little bit extra. And what I thought was, could we do a little bit extra perhaps next week in which it's me and a few fans, a few listeners, you know, talking sort of, you know, off the record, mailbag, whatever it may be. So I'm down to do that. If you're interested in participating, um, send me an email, uh, bstandig, S-T-A-N-D-I-G, at theathletic.com. Let me know you're interested. Uh, we'll figure out a, 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 a day and time next week, probably in the evening, I would I would venture to guess. But maybe that's something that we could do, you know, get to know each other a little better. Um, I don't know, maybe 10 of us, myself and 10, something like that. So if you're interested, send me an email. We'll kind of go from there. I would imagine this is going to be more Washington football team than it will be anything else. So we'll just kind of keep it in that in mind. Maybe in the future there's something to do on, on, on the Wizards front. But for now, we'll, we'll, we'll just stick primarily with the Washington football team. So hit me up on that. And by the way, let me know if you if you're if you're cool with two podcasts or you prefer the third. I just, you know, it's this is effectively third cuz there's a lot here, but in any event. Um so that's all going on and I've got a new article up by the time you hear this on the Athletic about everybody's trying to figure out what's going wrong with this team. I don't think it's that complicated. Here's here's what here's what's going wrong with the football team. Kind of everything they did in the offseason hasn't worked, right? And because of that the roster is suffering so and and so is the play so take a look at that let me know what you guys think all right so um i'm talking to you right now wednesday night washington practice today they'll practice two more days before the game so i this probably the last time i'll talk to you on the podcast this week um so what does that mean um a bunch of guys were out today curtis samuels out um antonio gibson was out but obviously he played last week so this may just be be an early rest i'm not going to get too uh, worked up about that at the moment. Uh, Sam Cosme, right tackle, out. Didn't see him today, so that's not a great sign. Not not actually even seeing him, but um, right. Um, but on the flip side, Deami Brown was back out there today, um, limited, but he was he was back out there. John Allen was also limited, but I imagine he'll be he'll be fine. Um, Cam Sims was out there and did not practice. And didn't look to me. I he was not dressed. At least Curtis Samuel was in his uh, his jersey. Curtis Cam Sims was not. I there was a lot going on last week. I reported that he's expected to miss another one to two weeks with a hamstring injury. It's you know week to week. We'll see what happens um, on that front. So those are things to keep an eye on. I think obviously the Curtis Samuel thing is. I mean, Curtis, Sam Cosme is pertinent, of course, the starting right tackle. They do have Cornelius Lucas, so. They at least have some options. The Curtis Samuel thing, though, it's just a matter of at this point, it's like, wow, like, what is happening here with this with this situation? You know, is it going to be? It, how are they going to resolve re, re, resolve this? Do they need to shut him down for a while? I mean, really, he's bored with talking. They played twenty five snaps against Atlanta, when, and they said even that was more than expected. That's not a lot, right? Uh, only five last week, so you know, really, doesn't seem like he's that close to being truly healthy. And at some point, you're gonna have to ask, you know, what are they gonna get out of him? It's only week, it's only week uh, six, but at the same time, you know, if you have to shut him down for a bit, now we're getting past the midway point of the season, and we still don't even quite know where things are at. So um, we'll keep all that in mind. And with regards to the Chiefs, 
Um, obviously, I'll talk. I talked a lot about this with Nate, so we don't have to get into it too much. And, and but one thing, and I think we talked about it a little bit, but I'll just emphasize it at the top. You know, we keep trying to figure out what to do with the defense. And look, nothing may work this week when you're considering the opponent, the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey. They do have some injuries. They do. They put Clyde Edwards-Hilaire on IR since. Um, Nate and I spoke, so one less one less weapon. We already knew he wasn't going to play with his uh, knee injury, but nonetheless, that that is um, that 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 is that. I I kind of feel like though, Washington has used a bunch of f- five defensive linemen lineups, as we all know. Technically, a fifth lineman, I believe, according to True Media, the, the, an analytic site that we have access to with the Athletic, um, it showed last week that Washington effectively blitzed. I'm air quoted that. 58% of the time, meaning they just sent an extra rusher beyond the the, 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 the standard four. And the I, 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 point that Nate made to me during our conversation was that like teams aren't really blitzing Mahomes. It kind of makes me think going with five defensive linemen may not be I may not be the way to go for Washington. Going with a four-one-six, though, that might work because right now it's only at other than Cole Holcomb. I don't know what linebacker you put on the field. So anyway. Something to consider. We'll, we'll talk more about that with Nate in just a few minutes. And then, as far as the the uh, the big NFL story this week, explosive you know story with with emails from John Gruden, uh, racist, um, homophobic, uh, sexist, misogynist, a lot of negative things in his email that, of course, led to him resigning. He essentially would have been fired, but he resigned. But the the primary aspect was all these things or a lot of the emails were connected to conversations he was having with Bruce Allen and Bruce Allen was the president of Washington. Since that's come out and since Patrick and I even spoke uh, just yesterday, um, former employees, I think there's about 40 of them, uh, uh, joined uh, to to send a letter to the corporate sponsors, um, I believe Nike among them, saying, hey, you guys need to pressure the league to put out the Wilkinson report. We want this report public. I think a lot of people do, but these women were directly involved, obviously, uh, in or, or at least many, if not all of them, are directly involved in this, and they want this information um, out there. Of course, we'll remember last year, when the name change situation happened, there was a lot going on in society. We were, st- we were right in the middle of everybody uh, focusing on uh, George Floyd's murder, and what that did to the country and caught up in that was the Washington team name when you had um, when Fred Smith, the former minority owner, when, when in his role as leading FedEx, they put out a statement saying, hey, change the name. Dominoes began to fall and the name went away. I don't know if we have the momentum at this exact moment for that to happen, but we'll see in terms of this push to get the um, corporate sponsors to, to pressure the league to to to. Uh, Put the report out there. Obviously, the league is definitely protecting Dan Snyder. That seems pretty apparent. Patrick and I will get into some possible reasons why and a lot more. But anyway, that's something that has happened this week. And of course, keep uh, keep uh, following me on Twitter at Ben Standing, as well as uh, taking a look at what we've got overall in the Athletic um, as where as there as well. Um, and by the way, there's also a DEA investigation still going on into uh, head trainer Ryan Vermillion. We haven't forgotten about that. So there is a lot going on here, including a game this week. So we're going to get to all that right now. But first up, we're going to talk to starting left tackle Charles Leno. A really fun conversation. 
this guy has really uh, integrated himself into the community pretty quickly. And we had to kind of went all over the place. Include, uh, it was a really interesting conversation. I think you'll like it. Then I'll get to my chat with Nate Taylor previewing the Chiefs game. And then lastly, Patrick and I, again, talking about everything here with John Gruden, Dan Snyder, and the NFL, plus Wizards. Uh, probably about, honestly, the Patrick conversation is about 50 minutes, probably half of the NFL stuff, and then half Wizards. So, a lot to get to. I hope you guys like it. Please listen. Please let me know what you think. At Ben Standig. And again, if you want to participate in a, in a uh, private conversation next week, email me, bstandig at theathletic.com. All right, uh, let's get to it. Um, we're going to have some words from a sponsor, but then right after that, we'll start with Charles Leno here on the Standard Room Only podcast. All right, as promised, joining us here on the podcast, an actual football player, left tackle for the Washington football team. He is Charles Leno. Charles, how... Uh, you know, we always ask, I always ask football questions, but let's go personal. How are you? I'm spirited. <laughs> you're spirit, you're spirited. Is that, is that, a, is that your, is that a daily uh, situation for you? You're just having a particularly good one. No, I just, uh, spirited is something I like to use when, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm at peace with who I am and the life and the situation I'm in. You know, that's just how I feel. Well, that's interesting. I'm actually going to lean into that, if you don't mind. I've spent, I don't know how it's been for you the last, however, I don't know however many months it's now been with, with this COVID situation, 19 months, 20 months. And I know for me, it's been a lot of thinking and soul searching and contemplating what, what like kind of what we're all doing. Because it's, I think like, if you haven't had any, if you haven't had taken any time during this to really kind of get with yourself about what's important or what are you thinking or learn something from it. I don't know what you people have been kind of doing. So when you say like, the, you're, you know, you're cool with where you are, has that, has that, has that been a, uh, is that something you've had for a while or is that more of a more recent thing? I know you've got a family and, and kids and all that. Like what, when for you, did you become comfortable? Like the way you just kind of said that? Oh yeah. So, I mean, honestly for me, um, you know, dating back, I don't know, early in my career, um, I did a lot of meditation, and I still continue to practice in meditation, not as much as I used to, but still definitely do it every, before every game. I do it, you know, on occasion I do it, but, you know, just definitely being understanding that peace with what's going on around you and understanding what you can and cannot control. And I feel like with COVID and everything that's going on in the world, like a lot of things we feel like we have to be able to control and we want to have a pulse over. We want to like feel and know what's going on. Sometimes you just got to let go and that's the best situation. And, you know, me having a family now, having two daughters and my wife around and, you know, this is my, this is, you know, who I am and my family. Now it's all about them. Like it's nothing, it's, it's, it gets more and more or less about me. And, you know, being in the situation I am like early in my career, I was very selfish. I mean, I'm a football player, you know, I mean, not, not saying all football players are selfish, but you get into this situation where I have to think about myself to, better my career you know and it's about me 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 and now it's less about me it's, uh, it's only about me on sunday but that's only three hours of the day you still get home and i still go back to changing diapers you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah it's uh it's something that you know it's just evolving always evolving and if you're not evolving i just turned 30 if you're not growing if you're not leveling up i have a shirt that says unlocked level 30 and if you're not leveling up in life, then, you know, what really are you doing? That's all I'm trying to do is just keep getting better. And, you know, understanding the way you get better is just understanding yourself and, you know, becoming a better version of you. Yeah. I mean, we, we need to condense all that and put it on a t-shirt because I agree with, uh, 
with 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 a, with a lot of that. Um, absolutely, especially the control that you can control. It has definitely been one of the big challenges uh, for me in life. But I don't. I mean, I guess in theory, I have a bit of a pub- public job as a writer. But you have a real public job uh, where people are paying attention to everything you guys do and say, and body language is important and things like that. In terms of this mindfulness, I guess we can say has that we just discussed how it maybe helped you get in touch with you. Has it, has it helped you out on the field? Is there something that you can see tangible difference as you've kind of gotten into this practice that you've, that it's kind of helped you out there? Oh, absolutely. On the field. I mean, tremendously. I even work with mental performance coach. You know, I think this game is, I mean, some people are going to say, you know, you get the 80% mental 20%. I even push it up to 90. I even push up to 95. This game is very, very mental. Um, it's all about your psyche. It's all about how you're able to um, overcome adversity. It's all about, you know, yeah, basically the, the mental aspect of it. Um, and I feel like if you are better in the mental aspect of it, then you'll be able to succeed longer and further. Um, talent can only take you so far. Uh, Coach Rivera always talks about talent sets the floor, you know, but your character sets the ceiling. And within character is, you know, a lot of mental toughness. Um, I want to come back to that in a second, but you just in terms of the meditation, I, I, it's actually something that I've been doing um, as well. I started doing it, I don't know, two or three years ago, like a lot of things. Uh, I, I then proceeded to stop, <laughs> but like I picked it up again during this last year and it's, it's, it's kind of helped me a, a bit. I, I think I've heard that Taylor Heineke is also into meditation. Are there other meditation is a solo activity in theory? I mean, it can be done as a group, but in theory, it's like a solo. Are there other guys on the team that you also know that do it or, or that you guys, is there, I don't know if there's a group, but are there guys that uh, kind of discuss it or do it together or just so you're aware um, that kind of do it? I'm actually not aware of that. Um, and that's a good point. Uh, being a, a part of meditation is awareness, but Sadly, I'm not aware of my teammates doing it. Um, I wish I knew. Uh, maybe this would come out and I would get to know who, what others out there are doing meditation. But, you know, it's just, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where it's, uh, it's just like everything in life. Maybe it's for you, maybe it's not. But I definitely advise trying it out and understanding, like, you know, the aspect of it and just controlling, the, uh, you know, controlling what you can control. You know, listening to your breath, being in the moment, being present moment focused, you know. Yeah, for sure. Well, I will, you know, uh, I, I don't know if this is a good joke or not, but like maybe, maybe you blindside your quarterback and ask if he is, because I think I've heard that he, that he, that he has that. Well, I won't say that. <laughs> I'll say you do it. Not, no, don't give it up. Well, why would I ever blindside my quarterback? I'm the blindside protector. <laughs> I, I know. That's why I said it's probably a bad joke. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, you mentioned that it helps um, having a proper uh, mentality and, and, and mindset and character can help deal with adversity. Um, I, you know, I don't know if it's too much to say you guys are dealing with adversity, but obviously, you know, you got, you know, you're coming off the loss or two and three, uh, you know, expectations for this team have been high and things along those lines. And, you know, you, you win on Sunday back to 500 and the world is, 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 a, is a better place and it's still earlier in the year, but obviously there's also been, you know, at least on the outside, some bumps to this point. I don't know how you would characterize it, but like, how have you seen from your perspective, you dealing with kind of the bumps in the road to this point and collectively as a group, how have you seen sort of the mindset, um, the, the, the culture as it were kind of dealing with kind of what you guys have, have uh, you know, to the start so far. Okay. So uh, for me, um, I'm very the same, no high too high, no low too low. 
that's that's who I am. That's always how I rolled. Um, I don't like to get too high for well, you know, some wins mean more than others, but you know, a win is a win, and you gotta appreciate the win at the time. But I have a quick mentality of blocking that out and on to the next opponent because you know can't you know hold on to that for so long because it is a long season and no low too low you know when you take tough losses that happens in this league I mean I mean it's still what only one team that went undefeated right you know what I mean like that's only one team that experienced that but uh you know so you just got to take it day by day and understand like as a team and collectively how resilient our team is. I really appreciate how resilient our team is. I know how we're going to respond to the loss. I mean, I think after every loss we had this year, we won. So I'm not, you know, saying anything like, oh, I'm guaranteeing a win, but I know how we're going to show up to practice. I know how we're going to show up to the meeting rooms. I know how focused we're going to be for this game. Um, and I know that I know that's that's where it starts. And that's what we can control. And that's what I know we're going to do. Um. You know, one thing that's interesting I was thinking about the other day, um, obviously we have not, as a reporters, well, we have more access to you guys this year. We, we, we have, you know, during training camp, we were in the, this tent area that they would bring you guys over to. And now we have our own uh, tent at, at the facility that you guys have come into. You came in one day wearing a Ryan Fitzpatrick shirt and, and that was fun and all that. Um, but like, we still don't have a chance to know guys the way we did when we had locker room access. Like I said, this is the first time you and I've had a chance to talk directly and, you know, it, other players as well. There's you know, some guys who've been on the team, you know, Chase Young has been on the team now two seasons. I've never talked to him directly. I mean, I, I, actually, I take it back. We he, we did talk about basketball last year over Zoom. I scratched that with him. But otherwise, you know, I mean, it's a different deal. And I always think that for media, we are the conduit for the fans, right? We're the people who let them know what's going on, whether we're talking about the mood or the or, or how, to, you know, what, how to improve something or just get to know the guys, but we're not there. I think the longer we're not there, it becomes harder to maintain that human connection. And when we, and when people are asking questions like, well, what is the mood like with the team or what's going wrong? If that's the way to look at it, it's not saying we can't assess it to a degree, but it's not as easy. And I'm wondering from the player's perspective, does it feel the same at all that like, because we are sort of on the outside and we as a conduit for the fans, it is harder to know us and therefore to get the message across, whatever you guys want to say or think or feel like, does it feel more of a disconnect now than it did before when the media was in the locker room and, you know, we had more direct connection to, to talk to everybody? Um, that's a very good question. Um, what I, my answer for that is, well, I got two, I got two answers for that. One good, one bad. It's a good thing that the media is not in the locker room because for us being in the locker room, it is kind of our safe space. You know, that's one thing that I know for a fact, like every single locker room across the league, that's our space. You know, we, uh, we, we, we like to hang out in there. We talk in there. Like that's kind of what we do. Um, so that on that aspect, that's, that's a positive. It might be a negative on your part. And yeah, absolutely. It is a negative when, you know, you don't understand who we are and you're writing a story and you're trying to piece together but, you know, it's over Zoom or, you know, you don't have that, you know, we can talk over Zoom and we'll just have this time. But, you know, in the locker room, we can just you can just come by, speak your piece and then afterwards still hang out and we'll still talk about life afterwards. You know what I mean? Right. So that can give a completely different narrative on your story about how you feel. Charles Leno Jr. might be the worst tackle in the league. But he might be the best family man you ever met in your life, you know. So it it, it kind of makes the story sound a little better. 
But um, yeah, I think that's that's the that's the disconnect that I feel in that aspect uh, of the locker room uh, and media and, and, and player. <laughs> gotcha. Well, let me ask you, I, you know, uh, rather than saying, how do you think your season's going? Uh, but let me ask you like this. There are people out there. I'm not one of them. I'm not. A, I, I look at film to try to understand as much as I can what's happening, but I'm not here to break down tape and I'm not going to put out a report that says, oh, this guy, you know, he should have gone this way. The quarterback should have seen this pass and done that way. Or in your case, you know, oh, how did you miss that block? I'm not, and that's not me. But you obviously, I'm assuming, you seem like you're you're a guy who's on social media somewhat. You seem like you're cognizant. I'm sure people, have, you've seen people say things about you. you. You mentioned the idea of being the worst attack or jokes, whatever. What's the thing that people don't get? Because like I've heard like say pro football focus, just to use them, they're maybe the most prominent uh, grades out there. I'll leave it up to others to determine good or bad, but I've heard in certain positions, they don't always get it because you don't always know who, what the call is on the line. I mean, maybe sometimes it's obvious the left tackle is going, but the blocker, but you don't always know. What's the thing when you see people assess line play that they get most wrong? Everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's tough to assess an offensive line play because they, clearly they don't know the call. They don't know, you know, who we're going to, um, all those type of deals. And, you know, for example, say the quarterback has to throw hot and he gets hit and it's on my side, you know, a fan or a regular fan or somebody breaking down the game, you know, average, average Joe Schmo with, you know, all 22, you know, you can say that's my fault, but you don't know, you know what I mean? You're not in a locker room. You're not in our meeting rooms. You're not breaking down the film with us and you're not watching it with us. So, it's very hard, um, but I understand everybody wants, you know, to have that first response to, you know, whatever somebody's performance or whatever somebody's doing. So it makes sense. I mean, it's part of the game. You just got to go with the ebbs and flows and understand that most of those people, I mean, not most, definitely all those people don't have any clue what we're doing. Don't you know have any clue what what's going on. It's just they want to be a part and they feel like this is the way they can gauge themselves and, you know, promote, and also promote themselves. You know, a lot of people are in the promoting business. And, you know, if you want to promote your podcast, you know what I mean? I got the breakdown of the Washington football team office line podcast every week. You know, that's that's what you got to do, right? So that's the end of the day, it is what it is. So in th- what if in theory we reversed it and we said, like as an off-season project, you get to critique the film people's oh. analysis of, of yeah. you and your teammates? Or I can critique you and your job. I'm oh, like, sure. ah, your, that podcast is, I mean, what is he talking about? He doesn't even know what he's doing. He doesn't know how to flow. He has no topic. He has, he has no, he has no content. What is going on? I get, that guy gets a D, you know, D plus max, you know, whatever. Like right, how about right. I do that? How about football players or athletes do that to the media? This is feeling a little personal right now as we're doing a podcast. Now I'm now I'm worried about my agenda here. Right? Do I have no flow? Wait, now I'm in my now I'm in my head. Um, yeah, I I I I I agree with that. I mean, look, I'm not sitting here. I don't and say I don't assess things because obviously that's what we all have to do. But yes, it would be interesting to go the other way if, right. if that were to uh, happen. Absolutely. If you do that though, could we do, could you do it to me? Don't do it on iTunes where people leave reviews. I need positive reviews there. Right. But oh, we can just do it on like some other form. That, that's fine. Right. I would, I would like to go down to the, um, actually, I like to go down to the local uh, Whole Foods. Um, I have some reviews that I got to give there. 
So if I can, at, at the end of this off season, I definitely will be stopping by my local Whole Foods and reviewing the bag, you know, the baggers and the stockers. You know, I have to make sure they are at, at pristine. You know, like, you know, just got to make sure they're on top of everything. You know? I, I, wor- I worked at a, uh, uh, as a cashier at, a, at the grocery store when I, near where I was growing up. And when you do that, they have a secret shopper that comes in and grades you. And then one day your boss says, hey, by the way, the shopper came in. And then they tell you what you, what you did or didn't do. That was kind of, that was kind of nerve wracking. Thank you for my off-season job. That is what I'm going to be doing. I might be popping up in every single grocery store across America as a secret shopper. Thank you. Okay, well, we, we're going to have to discuss this. This may be a, a, a fun project um, to, uh, to, to discuss. Um, let, let me get to a couple of the quick things before we, before we let you go. Uh, you sure. obviously, you're obviously new to this offensive line. Uh, so is Sam Cosme. You guys are, so where everybody's kind of looking at you guys, like how are the new tackles going to be? It's very different. You're a veteran who's a pro, you've been a pro bowler. You've been there, done that. He's literally learning the job. Unfortunately, he just had an ankle injury. Um, and I guess we'll see if he's able to go this week, but what's your sense of, of kind of where, where he's at? And when you look at him, how do you kind of see your own self, uh, you know, as he's kind of going through some growing pains? Yeah. Um, I mean, I just know, Football player, that's going to come. I understand that. Like that, he's he's a, he's a rookie. He's still learning the game, understanding what the NFL is all about. But as a person, I mean, I can't tell you more about Sam Cosby, man. He's a he's a great guy, um, extremely hard worker, very dedicated, focused. Um, you know, you know, just wants to get better, wants to continue to you know push himself every single day. And he has made a ton of strides already, and the future is very bright for him. Um, definitely very bright, and it look and I look at him, and I still look at and I think of myself, and I'm like, man, you know, just it, just seeing him and the way he's growing and learning still, it helps me because I want to learn and still grow and get better because I always have room to get better, I always still have room to learn. So I just take that from him, you know. Just I'm, I would say uh, I've heard this was a while ago. I forget what coach told me. I think it might have been John Fox because he had Peyton Manning, but. Peyton Manning always talked about um, taking notes, you know, and, and on the first install, he knew this install like the back of his hand, but he always took notes on it. And he wanted to, you know, learn like a, you know, soak things up like an eighth grader. And I feel like that's what Sam's doing. And I just want to learn like that. That's what, that's what makes the best the players better, you know? You mentioned earlier that like there may be a point in your career that you maybe thought you were, you were a bit more selfish uh, just because it may be where you were at that time and, trying to establish yourself or whatever it was uh how do you as a player like look you guys are all competitive i mean we can be realistic right you're you you are here you've got a contract through the end of the season and hopefully everything works out and you either stay or you get a better deal or whatever it may be sam cosby's a younger guy in theory he could be moved to the left side if that were to be somebody wants to do but how do you now your teammates you're trying to win games so do you how do you had at what point did you kind of flip if you if you needed the flip to go from being selfish to okay I need to help this guy regardless of whether maybe we're sort of competing on some level but we're not today today we're both striving for the same goal to win games is that how do you do that as as an athlete because I do always think that's like sort of a interesting dynamic like Favre and Aaron Rodgers was like a a bigger (laughs) a bigger one things like that but how do you how do you deal with things like that um so for me it's it's really easy honestly um I I have a philosophy. I got it from a movie, Paid in Full. You ever seen that movie before? I don't know if you have. I haven't, but I'm aware of it. 
Okay, well, he says everybody eats, B. That's what he says. Like, you know, everybody eats. And that's one of my favorite sayings because if everybody's eat, if everybody eats, then we're all winning at the end of the day. You know, so I look at it as I want this person to be the best person they possibly be, the best athlete they can be, the best football player they can be. Because if something goes wrong, you know, on the field, you we will need them, you know, and that's what I want to, that's why I want to help guys like Sam and Sadiq. I'm always helping out uh, guys like that um, just so they can get groomed along the way. So if anything goes wrong, they'll be ready. You know, you never want to get ready. You want to stay ready. You know what I'm saying? So I just want to make sure they're prepared and um, always just let them know mentally, like, you know, just stay in it, you know, cause you never know when your time's going to be because I was that player one time, you know, where I had to get thrown into the, you know, thrown into the game and, you know, I'm wide eyed and I'm like, Oh snap, I'm here now. And, you know, I don't want anybody to be caught off guard like that. I want them to be able to understand, like prepare your tail off, like you're a starter every single week. Um, because if you do that, then everybody wins, you know, that's the team wins, you win, I will be fulfilled because I'm looking at somebody I helped out, you know, what better, uh, what better story is, you know, you helping somebody out and they come in and they succeed, you know, that's, that's a feel good thing, you know, because you help them grow along the way. Um, I, I want to ask you about your, uh, your charitable endeavors before, uh, before I let you go, but quick, quick, ask people a couple like fun, silly questions. Um, uh, we'll go through them really quick. Painless, I promise. You are a social media guy. You're on Twitter. Who is somebody on Twitter that you wish followed you that doesn't? Like I, my 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 jokey answer, but sort of serious is like Rihanna. Rihanna, no, I'm married. I'm cool, off Rihanna. Uh, <laughs> hmm. I got two people. I'll let you have it. Dave Chappelle, if he was on Twitter, I don't even know if he is. And Larry David. Those are two people I don't actually know if they're on Twitter. D- Dave Chappelle's a DC guy. So that, I mean, they definitely if, need it though. I mean, yeah. I imagine you get a tweet every day from Dave Chappelle and Larry David, you know, and I just, I just want that. You know, I just want that in my life, you know, just to see what they're thinking for that day. Dave Chappelle wakes up and he tweets something. You know it's funny, but you know it's going to be real. Same thing with Larry David. They're going to speak their mind, but it's going to be funny. You know, I, I definitely want that from some people. 100%. Yeah, like I said, Dave Chappelle's a local guy. I don't actually know if he's a football, if he's a Washington football team fan or not, but he is from here. Yeah. He doesn't live around here anymore, but he's still around here. Uh, I'm out. Anyway, I respect that. There's a new season of Curb coming up. I just saw the ad for that, so uh, I'm excited for that. Um, based on a hobby or a habit, what Hall of Fame could you qualify for? Leg shaking. Leg shaking. What does that mean? Uh, I shake my leg a lot. <laughs> okay. It's like a nervous it's habit thing? or It's just like a thing I've been doing for a long time. I don't know. My wife hates it, but, you know, we're still together. This might be the thing that, you know, separates it. If she ever wants to take it that far, but it's, it's, a, it's, it's a habit, you know? So, all right, I'll win the Hall of Fame because I do it probably more than anybody you ever know. Well, I, I assume you can control it on the field or you might get a false start penalty or something. I got a false start off of that before. <laughs> really? When was that? No, oh, okay. <laughs> You're good. All good. If Dave Chappelle's here, I'm going to let him go blue. You can certainly uh, say that. Um, l- 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 last thing, I mean, you only got here this summer or whenever that was, right after the draft. 
Um, but you quickly integrated yourself with the community. You you have been very active from what I can see uh, with the fans, uh, with your charitable work. Um, but tell everybody kind of what 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 prompts you to be that active and what are some of the things that, that you and your wife, uh, Jennifer, have been kind of doing uh, in the community? Uh, what prompts me is just understanding where I came from. Oakland, California kid. Um, I remember not having much and I remember you know, going to like the Raider facility and the way they gave back, you know, uh, I did that. We had like a bus trip there um, and I saw the charitable works they did. And I was like, if I ever get the opportunity, I always want to give back to the community I am and my community. So that's just something that I'll, that's been a part of me, you know, since, I mean, honestly, once since I've been in Boise, I did a lot of travel work out there too. You know, but, you know, in the league, you can make an even bigger impact. And that's just something I want to do, just leave a lasting impact and make sure the youth understand that there is, you know, good role models out there and people who want to see you succeed. Um, and some other things that we're going to be doing, you know, later on, we, we got Halloween coming up. We'll be doing some Halloween things. I mean, every season, the Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, we, we got things rolling and we might be sprinkling in some, uh, some other fun ones around, you know, um, around around the season you know i just want to make sure that you know people understand i am the type of person that always loves to give back because it means so much to me you know i mean it means a lot to see put to put a smile on somebody's face for that day you know what i mean that's that's just something i i, I want in life i just want everybody to be happy i want a utopian society and never will get there but i'll try you know what i'm saying yeah, it's, yeah. Everybody, everybody can just try. That that's, you, you can't. We 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 may not get to the ultimate goal, but if we're not going to get there, we don't try. Um, Charles, I I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for the time. Good luck this week against um, the the the, the Chiefs. Uh, at least you you're on. You don't have to deal with Patrick Mahomes. You get to watch him, but you don't at least have to chase him around. So uh, that that that's a good thing. Uh, I appreciate it. Thanks again. Thank you. Appreciate it. Have a good one. All right, as promised, joining me here on the podcast to help preview this interesting week six game. Is it interesting? I don't know. It, probably, I guess it's interesting because it's interesting, if nothing else, because of the opponent for Washington, the 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 the, the beasts of the a- AFC in recent years who are not looking as uh, mighty as they have been. Uh, <laughs> at least, at least at the moment, uh, he is our Chiefs insider, Nate Taylor at by Nate Taylor on twitter sir i appreciate uh the, the the time we're both having interesting years uh i i think the team i cover is not where they expected to be no chance the team you cover uh is is where they expect to be what what's the mood at this moment uh in kansas city yeah uh thanks for having me ben it's a it's a little bit of a of a panic here in kansas city and um i would tell washington fans that uh, the mood here in Kansas City is 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 kind of you know a, a, a disbelief in how poorly this team has played over the first five weeks of the season. Um, if people take nothing else from this, it's that the Chiefs probably should acknowledge to themselves, Ben, that they're not as good as they think they are. Um, we have a large enough sample size. We're five games in. They have arguably the worst defense in the league, um, and they're high potent offense um, has made so many errors on their own in terms of turnovers uh, that neither side is truly playing complimentary football. Um, so this game is interesting just because the Chiefs really, really need it. 
um, because they are dead last in the AFC West, which is, again, a surprise. Um, But I do think this game can be competitive in a way for Washington that, yes, even though it's early October, teams may still be like, or people, I should say, may still be like, wow, like how is this game close in the fourth quarter? And my thought process is that's probably what I'm going to expect all year from Chiefs games is that they'll probably be close. And if they are dominant, they will have had to really make steady progress in terms of improvement all year long. Didn't that kind of happen last year? Like, I, I'm not sure about it from like a betting perspective, but like it felt like as somebody who, you know, uh, looks at lines and, and mm-hmm. plays some fantasy football. I was always like, boy, Kansas City is like not blowing people away that Mahomes is having to do some magic late in games. But then once they got to the playoffs, obviously it's like, oh, okay, here they go. And they make the Super Bowl again. Um, right. I mean, that was sort of happening a little bit last year, but now it's just more, more pronounced in there. You know, they, they don't have the firepower, especially on defense to do enough to, to, to get things going so far. Yeah. Um, you're right. I mean, last year, they were so much better than everybody that just about this point in the season last year is when they started, I think, to play board or to flip the switch, which doesn't help anybody if you're gambling on the most dominant NFL team to say like, hey, can you can you win by more than one score? Um, they didn't last year. They, they won a lot of what you could describe as close games based on the box score, but there were times where they really turned it on against the Saints, against the Dolphins. I mean, these are teams that, you know, they, they blew out Tampa Bay before really basically taking their foot off the gas in the second half. Um, they were a team that knew they were champions, that knew they could really, when it, when the moment was right, sort of take control of the game on offense or defense. And as impressive as Washington's defense was last year, I think both teams are in this similar mood of, hey, we all went into the offseason, and this is both the Chiefs and Washington, where the defense is not the big concern. You know, that should be the part of the team that transfers year over year pretty okay. Like, marketable improvement would be great. Little dip is fine. Uh, it's it's surprising to me, from an observer here in Kansas City, how, uh, how Washington has struggled on defense. I think most people in the league – thought that Kansas City had to be competent, had to be, you know, slightly above average um, to continue to stay, you know, superior in the AFC. And they've they've fallen off a cliff in a lot of ways. Um, they have one true star player right now. Uh, that person is Tyron Matthew. I would tell Taylor Heineke not to target anybody he's covering on Sunday's game because there's openings throughout the secondary, um, most specifically Daniel Sorensen, who's played – um, who's in the midst of his worst stretch of his career and the Chiefs pass rush has not been as dominant as people and me included perceived because Chris Jones has a left sore wrist injury he did not play in Sunday's game against Buffalo Frank Clark has been dealing with hamstring injuries he doesn't seem to have the same burst that he once did Jaron Reed was the Chiefs biggest offseason offseason acquisition on defense as a defensive lineman who was supposed to add more girth to the interior uh, he has not recorded a sack through five games this season. So um, it's it's weird to know that a team last year knew they were champions, knew they could turn it on whenever they wanted, and that is not the case this year. They're going to have to fight and really grind out games, and Mahomes, in a weird way, has to be 
even more excellent than what is usually required from a superstar quarterback to where I think he's starting to feel the pressure of, I can't make mistakes. And in fact, I need to be above average on just about every play versus the brilliance that he would show you in certain stretches. I mean, that's, that's how life is on some level, right? I mean, I, I rarely achieve the point of, of, of a mindset where I feel free to do what I want, that my actions are, are not tethered to the world around me, that I can just do what I want and it, it'll work out. <laughs> and and when, you, when all of a sudden you realize, oh, I don't know, whatever it is, there's, there's outside pressures in various ways, it can be limiting. Uh, and, and I, you know, maybe, uh, like you're saying, maybe that's part of what's happening with, 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 with him, obviously. And that's also like with the NFL, right? I mean, it's just so hard. That's what, it's what makes the Patriots. I mean, look, I'm look Kansas yes. city. I would still for this moment. If you said to me, who's going to be in the AFC championship game, probably I'd still have to think hard about picking the chiefs, if not actually picking them. So, mm-hmm. you know, but like, it's what makes what the Patriots did so impressive. And partly it was because you had Tom Brady there the whole time, but still everything else around him kept changing and they largely were in contention, if not actually making the Super Bowl, because you know, in the salary cap era and, you know, Correct. 20 other things happening at all times. It's so, it's so challenging. Um, the, look, both teams' defenses are terrible. In fact, as I was looking up a lot of Washington stats, all, a couple times the only team that was worse than them in a certain category was, was, <laughs> was, was Kansas City. So they're both struggling on that end. And obviously for Washington, even if they were you know, firing on all cylinders, uh, to use a cliche, the, the Patrick Mahomes would be a problem. And obviously, assuming that everybody else is – you know, the, all their main weapons are there. They're obviously Clyde Edwards Hilaire. I guess he's not going to be, he's not going to be there. I don't, you know, he's not, he's not a marquee running back in the league, but you know, still you take away anybody's starters and that's a problem. Um, I, part of me wonders though, for Washington, the only two games they've won this year is when the offense has scored at least 30 points. And yes. that's just such a tough ask for Taylor Heineke, no matter what. And if Mahomes is going, is getting going against a defense that's been struggling, I don't realistically know that they have the firepower, especially when you look at what Washington's missing. Before we started recording, you said you asked me, wait, is Ricky Seals Jones, who was with your team last year, starting for Washington when he barely played in Kansas City? I'm like, yeah. I mean, Logan Thomas is out, and the only other backups they have are some rookies who are just completely unproven, and he's had to go out there, and he's actually done a couple of decent things since he's been here. But at the same point, that's where we're at. A guy who's a you know just a journeyman guy for depth, is having to play real minutes. We don't know if real snaps. We don't know if Curtis Samuel is going to be available this week after he goes out again with the groin injury. Mm. Uh, Their starting right tackle, Sam Cosme, got hurt in this last game. We'll see what his deal is. They already were that two other receivers going into the week. Uh, and 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 then let's not forget, Ryan Fitzpatrick's not playing, which is why Taylor Heineke is, is here. So uh, it, it is, to me, when Washington's gone up against good defenses, Heineke, those have been Heineke's two worst games. He won't be going up against a good defense this week. <laughs> But he will be having to go up to keep pace with an offense that typically scores a lot of points almost against anybody. Um, I guess in Heineke's favor, he already went up against Tom Brady in the playoffs last year and showed he's not going to shrink from yes. from a big spot. On the other hand, they still lost the game. And, you know, similar to, you know, this is a tough stretch for them. They need to find a way to win one of these next handful of games. It's going to be tough. And it doesn't seem that it's going to be this one, but. I don't know. I mean, the, the, I, I don't know how the offense is going to keep up, I guess is what I'm saying, if Kansas City is doing what, they're, what, what, what they probably will, will do. Yeah, the, the big question for me uh, in terms of this game on defense for the Chiefs is can they tackle effectively? Um, because 
you know, does Washington have the same collection of skill position players and speed similar to what was showed Sunday night against Buffalo? And, and the answer is, is no. Um, but one thing that can help Washington is the Chiefs have had stretches this year where they've missed a lot of tackles in the open field, which obviously equate to first downs that you don't necessarily expect, which extend drives. And then the Chiefs have not been really good in the red zone in terms of defending their own goal in. Um, for Mahomes and the Chiefs, they're probably going to have to be passing the ball more than they uh, expect just because Clyde edwards layer uh, did have a left MCL sprain in Sunday night's loss to the Buffalo Bills. He'll be out, I think, a couple weeks. The Chiefs will have to decide later this week if he's going to be staying on the active roster or if he's going to be added onto the short-term IR, which means he would miss the first, you know, the next three games. Um, they don't really have anybody proven – on the running back standpoint, there's Daryl Williams, an undrafted guy who's been with the team for a few years, but he's been never asked to start uh, for long stretches of a season. There's Jarrett McKinnon, uh, who is a very nice scat back veteran, but um, based on his injury history, I don't know if you want to be giving him a ton of touches. Uh, and so a lot is going to be put on Patrick Mahomes' shoulders. Um, the one thing that I know Ron Rivera and that coaching staff is going to harp on is A, if you look at the Chiefs' losses this year, you know, the Chargers scored 30 points. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens scored 36. The Buffalo Bills just scored 38. You, you have to score 30 to have a chance to beat this team, even though they're not playing their best football, one could say right now. And then secondly, they need turnovers. Um I think whichever defense gets turnovers in this game will massively help their chances in terms of winning. The Chiefs have not had a turnover, Ben, since the second quarter of week two. I mean, that is just a drought that you rarely see this early in the year. Um, but the Chiefs defense is also a unit that has given up 29 or more points in all five games. So, hey, Washington fans. 29 to 30 is doable, even with Tyler Heineke and guys that you necessarily weren't expecting to sort of count on when the season began. Um, but the Chiefs can help their offense if they get some turnovers. And I believe Washington can do the same thing um, because whoever has the short field, whoever can sort of build some momentum, uh, I feel will have a large advantage um, just because look, Jalen Hurts had his best game of the season against the Chiefs defense. So Washington fans should hope that Tyler Heineke has a similar performance, but this time in a winning in a winning effort, uh, if he A, doesn't turn the ball over, and B, the Chiefs miss tackles and they don't get turnovers. Yeah, I mean, Heineke, like I said, he's been a gamer. He's largely played fairly well, especially if you, you, know, if you consider expectations. And even if you don't, you know, he's, he's done fine. Terry McLaurin's a beast. Antonio Gibson is a legit playmaker they don't use jd mckissick out of the backfield nearly enough for my reason for my view especially um mm -hmm. with, with curtis samuel out but you know they are pretty limited elsewhere and um you know that's a problem it's interesting like normally you know you talk about putting pressure on a quarterback um is a good thing you know it lowers his uh <laughs> success rate yes heineke's case it almost feels like it's been the opposite because when he pressured he he takes off and he can move and he's he's really effective running either to get you know to get yards or just to get out of the of the pocket but his issues with interceptions have been when he's staying in the pocket too long mm. and 
thinks he can throw the ball to a spot and he doesn't have a strong arm and that's when he's gotten into problems either with the reads or just the he is so confident even in the league of confident humans that he um that that he's he's making those kinds of mistakes so um i don't know how to sell a team to suggest pressure but only to a point uh mm-hmm. but at the same point that it, you know feels like that's where some of his um some of his mistakes have uh have have come um so to, to the point you mentioned before washington should not target tyron matthew seems like a reasonable thought yes don't don't go anywhere near that man he's the <laughs> only guy that i would be like i don't know if i do that uh <laughs> but everybody else is, is up for play and look one can argue their best cornerback javarius war he has missed the last three games with a quad injury um as this week goes on i'll, I'll obviously report on how his participation is in practice there's a chance he could play but even his absence has made the secondary uh, a lot worse um yeah so i mean that'll be interesting to see there and actually i was thinking before i should i should at least talk about washington's defense because you know the the you mentioned that from your perspective on the outside that it's been confusing i can tell you sitting here it's super confusing um you, <laughs> you, you mentioned the, the turnovers they didn't they got two turnovers in this game against the, this last game against the saints those were their first turnovers since that they had generated since week one um the the they're getting pressure on the quarterback it's not leading to sacks that's not necessarily sacks are you know not always the best indicator of what's happening but at the same point it, it shows some sort of finishing the play and not just getting there. They're also been using a lot of five defensive lineman looks, which is odd because it's odd for any team, but it's, they're using it in a combination of their five of their best defensive players are on or all linemen. Mm. Um, Matt Ioannidis, the fifth guy, he's really good. He would be easily a starter for a lot of teams, but they just have a lot of other guys. So they've been using that, but it's also to help cover up for the fact that their linebackers are really not good. And they're, they're getting spotty play in the secondary to boot. And so, you know, the idea of like how, how this defense is going to match up against Travis Kelsey, whew, I really don't even comprehend how that's going to, how that's going to go. Um, and, and so that, 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 that's scary. Um, but then you have obviously, you know, Chase Young got his first sack last week. The, the, the individual linemen have all ha- at times had some good plays. They just collectively haven't been dominant. So I know Joe Thune has a, busted hand and because he's an offensive lineman he'll just keep playing uh <laughs> but what about the rest of the Chiefs line obviously there was a lot of changes this year how are they holding up is this a game where Washington could maybe get going in terms of uh, sacks and pass rush or is there is the Chiefs line good enough that Mahomes is probably gonna have enough time to kind of do what he wants yeah it, it's a it's a great question Ben because you know the Chiefs their, their number one priority this offseason was to revamp the entire offensive line because everybody saw that Patrick Mahomes can't, he can't be Superman even behind a makeshift offensive line, which was the case in Super Bowl 55 last year. So Orlando Brown is at left tackle. Uh, Joe Tooney, who um, fractured his hand and played every snap. I mean, talk about toughness and consistency and just um, overall how just solid he's been for the team this, this thus far as at left guard. And then on the right side, they've got three rookies with center Creed Humphrey, uh, Trey Smith and Lucas Niang, who opted out of last year and is in his rookie season this year. The offensive line has not been an issue. You know, I think uh, for people here in Kansas City, myself included, it was like, okay, much of the early start of the season is how will the offensive line play? How will they protect Mahomes? That really didn't become an issue by week two, or that was not a topic, I should say. Um, 
the Tooney element will be interesting if he doesn't play. It'll be the first time in his uh, six-year career that he will have not played an NFL game. He's uh, played 85 consecutive regular season games. So that would create some some change. Uh, maybe that would bring up Laurent Duvede-Tardif, who opted out of last year um, but was a part of the Super Bowl-winning team in 19. Uh, there's Nick Allegretti, who's a young guy. And so for Washington, I think if they're going to use five linemen, um, that would be interesting because Mahomes really hasn't faced that type of uh, that type of defensive front before, or at least not often, in my opinion. You know, most teams are not blitzing Mahomes, so if you're going to have five linemen going up against him, it would it would be a little bit of a wrinkle from what they faced so far. Um, I think what the Bills demonstrated in Sunday night's game is, as long as you're near Mahomes, that is a good thing. Um, he's so elusive; he can extend plays. He's so creative and and uses improv you know improvisation to his to his ability that there are going to be times where he's just ultimately frustrating but what i give the bills credit for is yes he extended the play and you didn't sack him when you thought you could and sure he threw a touchdown to byron pringle uh in the first half but because you were near him so much and because the chiefs were behind uh that pressure was felt even by one of the best quarterbacks in the league if not the best quarterback so they, the Bills got one sack. I would tell Washington fans, if you get any sacks on Patrick Mahomes, it is a successful day, but you need constant pressure. and You need to kind of be around him. That way he's not extending the play and finding Travis Kelsey in the middle of the field, or you're giving two to three seconds for him to find Tyree Kill, which has uh, really been a marker of how successful this team has been on offense or how, I guess, explosive. Uh, and the two wins that Chiefs have had this season – Tyreek Hill has caught a pass of more than 40 yards and their losses. He has not. Um, so that's something that, you know, Washington will have to keep in their mind because the pass rush, even if you don't get there, it can at least limit explosive plays and it can force Mahomes to scramble versus extending a play that leads to a touchdown. So um, the bills I thought did the best job this season of saying, Hey, we're going to rush with four. We're going to at least be near Mahomes. We're going to at least make him, we're at least going to speed his timing to find his receivers. And Washington's got to do something similar, even if they don't get, you know, two or three stacks on Sunday. Yeah. I mean, when you go with the five defensive linemen, they used it like 30 something snaps um, last week, um, which is very high, a, a, a really staggering amount. And uh, the Saints essentially countered with, you know, certain types of play calls. They went empty backfield more than they had. Um, they, they actually included Alvin Kamara in the passing game, which they hadn't done um, in some of their earlier games. And they took advantage of that. And it just feels like Kansas City is going to be able to do that. And rushing five takes away a pass defender. Correct. And so you're, do you, like you said, teams are blitzing Mahomes less. That doesn't seem like they're, I mean, therefore, like technically they're blitzing by bringing five. So it doesn't seem like the way to go. But like I said, they, they're so limited at linebacker right now. They would probably have to go with like six defensive backs. And then, you know, I guess if you want to say, well, Kansas City's run game maybe isn't there because of the injury, that maybe that's something to, to do. If they want to run, that, yeah, that would, that, that would you, You're right on it, Ben. That would be my suggestion for Ron Rivera is, like, if you give up 200 rushing yards, you may actually have a better chance of winning because it takes the ball out of Tyreek Hill's hand. It takes the ball out of Travis Kelsey's hand. And as, you know, we mentioned earlier – um, Damian Williams is, is, uh, excuse me, not Damian, Daryl Williams. Daryl Williams is fine. He is a fine running back. 
Uh, he's not as elusive or as quick tit- quick titched as Clyde Edwards Alaire, which is clearly why he's not the starter. Um, but yeah, if you present six defensive backs, you say, hey, please hand the ball off to Daryl Williams. Like, please, like, right. can you just hand the ball off to him 20 times? I like, I would tell Washington fans to, to, to like, unless the Chiefs are like near the goal line or it's like fourth and one, you should be cheering every time Daryl Williams uh has the ball because you want him to beat you not not the guys that you know are superstar multiple pro bowl players um on this offense but you know if you're going to stay with five defensive linemen to keep pressure on Mahomes that's fine um but you you need less I would agree you need probably less linebackers on the field and and hope that your guys can hold up in coverage for sure uh last question for you obviously Kansas City's gotten a lot more attention around the league the last few years with Mahomes and 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 the success that, that they've had, and I'm sure that's led to some bandwagon fans popping up or maybe even Kansas City just chief fans saying, hey, I want to be support my team when they're on the mm-hmm. road. Washington has had a lot of problem, problems this year getting anybody to show up to games. Uh, the, I don't even know what the att- – actually, I didn't – I forgot to look it up what the attendance number was this week, but I'm pretty sure it was under 50,000. The first wow. two games were sort of around that as well. So what's your sense? Is, is there a big backing of Chiefs fans here? Do you imagine that there's going to be – uh, a good crowd because seats are available. The only question is, <laughs> will, 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 will people show up? Uh, very, very interesting uh, question because, yes, I feel like there were a lot of Chiefs fans in Baltimore a few weeks ago for that Sunday night game. Um, obviously, that's a natural rivalry uh, that highlights, you know, John Harbaugh and Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes and, and uh, Lamar Jackson. Um, and so in Philly, I felt like there were less Chiefs fans, but that's mostly because it's Philadelphia. I mean, th- those people will, those people will at least love to boo the Eagles if they are underwhelming or if they're not, you know, trying to be aggressive against the Chiefs' offense, which was the case. And it was it was hilarious to know every time the Eagles kicked the field goal that fans were booing. Um, I because it's an early game, I, I I wonder how many Chiefs fans will travel. Um, you know, I think the Chiefs have grown in popularity, of course, as you mentioned, uh, more fans who are uh, on different parts of the country who want to obviously have some tie to Kansas City are showing up more. Uh, I would not count on the Chiefs to, to be a sellout, man, <laughs> but maybe but if, if there's one opportunity to do so, maybe. Um, but it's not like the Chiefs are the Steelers or the Packers just yet, in my opinion, where right. they're going to show up regardless of where you are um in the nfl slate on a, on a particular sunday um but yeah there'll be a decent amount of chiefs fans and um it'll be fascinating to know if this game is something like we see you know more and more in a, either in la or las vegas where the venue and the in the city itself lends and obviously the, the home team's uh perhaps performance or lack thereof may lead to more of a neutral site sort of feel um, but I wouldn't say Chiefs fans are going to fill up the stadium. That that would be that'd be surprising to me. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Uh, th- this this podcast will go up uh, later this week. If, at that point, you'll have some other work up on the athletic. Anything people should be keeping an eye on to to get themselves ready for this uh, Chiefs uh, Washington game. Yes, Washington fans. If you if there's any solace I could give you. Um, I have to do a story later this week explaining just how historically bad the Chiefs defense are. So if you want optimism, if you want to feel like, hey, we have a chance, even against Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, uh, there are things that I'm still learning every day about this defense statistically and 
and you know this, Ben, just watching from your seat on the All-22, that it's just like, wow, this is this is worse. This is really, really bad. So um, there'll be a story later on this week about um, the state of the Chiefs defense and if there's any way to improve it. And a lot of Chiefs fans are circling this game being to say, if we can't, you know, if the Chiefs can't have some level of improvement defensively against Washington, then I think a lot of fans will be like, well, we should score 40 every game because um, that's the situation that they're going to be in. So that'll be on the athletic.com. And the idea that Washington can say, hey, we don't have the worst defense because Nate just told us it's it's in Kansas City. And they're and they just so happen to to be your opponent on Sunday. Uh, fair enough. Uh, I mean, I don't know what the over for this game is. I think it's like 56. I think I saw maybe somewhere. You might want to take it. y'all. <laughs> you might, you might, you might want to take it. Uh, Nate Taylor, definitely appreciate it, man. Well, are, are, you, are you coming to D.C.? Yes, sir. I'll be coming to D.C. Uh, it'll be my first time at, at FedEx Field, so uh, you'll have to probably show me around, Ben. <laughs> uh, yeah, this, you, you, hopefully you'll, you'll do other better sightseeing in D.C. and you'll show up to, to the stadium for work. It's not that. Yes, it's, yes. It's not, no disrespect to anybody. It's not that exciting. Uh, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Ben. All right. Uh, and now, as promised, joining me here on the podcast, it's been a long minute since he's been on the podcast. Normally, we talk nonsense like the Wizards, which we're going to get to because I need to know what he thinks. And, and we, I need to hear if he's if he's in a good mood about the team or he's still skeptical. But we're also going to talk starting here about everything that's going on with well, not everything. We're going to talk about what's going on with the John Gruden situation and how it connects to Washington and kind of what is really kind of going on behind the scenes here, as best we can guess. He doing that is our friend Patrick Ruby, who is, you know, Patrick and I both cover sports. I'm covering the silly part. He covers the serious part. That's why we're having him on because this is a serious topic and we'll get to the silly wizards in a minute. But first, Patrick, it's been a minute. How are you? I'm good. It's great to be back. Uh, I believe the last time I actually was on here, it was the, uh, the I can't even say it, the Locked On Wizards sure. podcast. <laughs> now, I, now we're here at The Athletic. That's amazing. I take some glee in the fact that when I when I was giving up the lockdown wizards, I was like so bummed because I was like oh, I built it up and it had done well. And I was, you know, doing the five days a week like you had. People were like, dude, are you serious? Nobody else is gonna keep up this pace. I'm like, oh, really? It doesn't seem like it's that complicated. And since then there's been, I think, literally nine or ten hosts that have gone through. So I uh, you know I, what? I, I take some pride in that. I hate you because <laughs> I ain't you, Ben. <laughs> um, so I I I appreciate the 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 time and you know. You are, like I said, I'm being serious. Like you, you deal with a lot of serious-minded topics. You do a lot of great work with regards to concussions. Mm-hmm. With you talk, we've talked in the past about, um, you know, whether college athletes should be getting paid, things like that. And I didn't necessarily know whether you were weighing in or you had been doing things with regards to either the the the, the NFL's investigation into Washington um, or this particular topic with Gruden. Mm-hmm. But I did see you were tweeting. We're talking on Tuesday. I think I saw you tweeting yesterday on Monday when everything kind of broke down about this. So I reached out and said, let's let's do that here. So mm-hmm. I, I really don't even know. I mean, I know your stance is a, because I, I know you and I saw what you're tweeting. And you're, a, you're a morally upstanding person. So I get where your stance is. But I'm curious about some of the what do we make of what is actually happening here? Right. For anybody who is yet who's not aware, by the time you hear this, I would imagine you would be. But just quickly, over the last few days, various emails have come out. In that, that that showed John Gruden it back in 2011 to have said various uh, misogynistic, homophobic, uh, have emails with racial tropes, what various things like that. 
and the, the, the totality of it led to him resigning, I guess, before, rather than just the Raiders or the NFL stepping in and, and doing something. Right. So, so that's the basis of that. The reason why it's interesting, it's interesting on a lot of fronts, it, 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 to localize it, a lot of these emails were apparently to Bruce Allen when Bruce Allen was the team president of the Washington, well, then it was the, uh, under a different name as we know, but uh, the, the Washington team president. And all of this stems from the NFL's investigation into Washington's culture connecting to the um harass the various uh charges of harassment and other you know negative things going on with this organization that led to the wilkinson report that was turned in but not released so on and so on and it is really interesting to watch this as sort of a microcosm of society is it just a matter of it's a difference between who cashes checks and who writes the checks as to what's happening here why john gruden goes down and dan snyder doesn't where is this all coming from? And get all that, but just for you, I guess, to that aspect of it, to that localizing aspect, what do you make of the fact that we're here that John Gruden got effectively taken down because of an investigation into Washington? I mean, it's, I, there's a lot here, like you said, there's a lot to sort of unpack. I mean, first of all, the content of the emails themselves, you know, uh, I'm sure there's people out there listening that would defend that. I would not. Like, I think you described it pretty accurately. It's homophobic, racist, sexist. I mean, we shouldn't leave out. He also was bashing the NFL's safety efforts to try to protect players from brain injuries, which is pretty bad. And I believe in the report, there was, uh, it said that in these emails, there was also like photos of, I think, Washington football team cheerleaders topless. It seemed like these were non-consensual photos of that. These were not like calendar photos. These are like, photos that you should not be having or sharing like that's also a violation of people so there's really a lot like john gruden you know he really hit for the cycle in these emails in terms of like being terrible human being um and it's so it's not really surprising that he is resigning i'm sure that he would have been fired otherwise um and i but i do agree with you especially in the local angle here in washington like the context of these emails beyond the content of the emails is incredibly interesting and, and i think troubling in some ways. So it's like, we know that these came from the Wilkinson investigation, which is, so that's an outside lawyer, outside law firm brought in by the NFL to investigate the absolute mess uh, around the front office uh, and leadership of Washington football team, right? The Washington Post has done extensive reporting on this. They don't need to rehash it all here, but essentially you have like a pretty bad and toxic work culture with all sorts of harassment, uh, sexual harassment and other sort of bad things happening. Um, and like you said, there's a report done by this law firm. None of us have ever seen it, right? We know that Dan Snyder was, or the team was fined, right? Was it Dan Snyder or the team that was fined? $10 million? Is that well, right? yeah, it's one of those things where like, it's Dan Snyder, but like, because it's technically the team, the team made sure to say that it wasn't him, that it was the, the organization that was fined, but obviously he owns it. So I don't. Right. And we, I mean, we know that like, uh, there's been some, like, I don't want to say a total house clean. Maybe that's not the right term, but like, some people are gone from the front office now that were there during these times and new people are there. Um, Correct. Snyder, what did he, he, he had some sort of hiatus, right. From, from technically running the team. Is that right? He technically is still on this. Uh, he, he stepped down. They didn't suspend him. He right. stepped, I'm air quoting, stepped down, but his wife who was named uh, a CEO or co-CEO, I whatever, 
she is now running. So it's one of those things like, wait, you're not, but the woman, the per, you know, you, you guys are in the same house and all that. And you're not discussing the work. Okay, sure. So. Right. I mean, so I think, I think what you can say at, at the conclusion of all this is like, there was some, but I would say very limited accountability for whatever happened with Washington. And what we know happened, what we know about what happened mostly came from the Washington Post, like, and other reporters. We have not seen much of anything from this Wilson report, except for these leaked emails that largely implicate John Gruden, right? Who, who never actually worked for this team. He was working for ESPN at the time, most of these emails, right? And they were from 2011, but also going forward in time. I believe the last ones were from 2016, 2017. I have to go double check the reporting, but that's, that's, my, uh, that's my memory of that from reading it yesterday. Um, so it does make me wonder, you know, I think in the report, it said there's something like 600,000 emails that were reviewed, something like that. It was a really large amount. Uh, and we don't know what's there. So we have no idea, like, who else was saying terrible stuff in these email, in emails, right, to each other. Is, this, is it just John Gruden and apparently Bruce Allen and some, a handful, of the, like one or two other guys that were like CEOs that were just sort of, uh, and we don't, by the way, we don't even know if those are the only people that were copied into or in this email chain, right? That was a little bit unclear also from the reporting. So I think, I think there's a lot of unanswered questions as to like, what did they actually find out about the front office culture and the people in it here in Washington? And is it always gonna remain buried? Because right now that's just been buried. The NFL basically slapped them on the wrist and kind of like, this is over. We've done our investigation. Everybody's moving forward. Nothing to see here. And this coming out now that makes it seem like, no, there's probably some more things to see. There always were more things to see, but it's reminding everybody of that fact. Yeah, yeah, for for for, for sure. So so let's backtrack here for a quick second. So like we said, so they, they do this months, months long investigation into Washington, the Wilkinson report. They, they turn it into the NFL, the NFL you know, they find Dan Snyder, they, they strongly condemn some things, but ultimately they, they did determine not to, or that they say they're not going to show the actual report and, you know, they're going to kind of keep it all under house. I wish I had, I did not look up the, the exact wording, but it's some version of like, you know, it's a lot of things are, you know, we don't want to put this out into the, into the world. There's some troubling stuff or, or whatever, but then obviously now these John Gruden emails get out and that does make it it's odd. So let's go back here. So the other day when John Gruden, so last week, the first John email comes out where John Gruden makes uh, comments about NFL PA head Demora Smith uh, with racial racist tropes in 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 that email. It was just that one email, I, I believe, at that moment. Right. And it was happening at the exact time that Demora Smith was up for re-election as the person who's who's in charge, the president, not the president, but he's he's in, he's running the NFL Players Association, right? He he's the outside head. Of that, right, the right. The, I think what was going on with the FPO was the idea if he didn't sort of get a certain number of votes from, I don't know if it was the executive committee or maybe the player rep committee, right? It wasn't from the entire body of NFL players, but it was sort of like one of those higher up committees. Then they would have to call for an election with other candidates and things like that. But if he got a certain number of votes, he would just stay on for the rest of his, I guess, his remaining term. I think it's, I think it's basically that was what was going on. So it was, it was kind of like a bit of a vote of confidence, no confidence in D. Smith. And so, yeah, there's peculiar timing that that came out. And right. I think there was speculation at the time, somebody leaked this to help D. Smith 
right. with that, which is, you know, a very like uh, tinfoil hat conspiracy brain thinking, but it wouldn't be impossible, right? Well, I, mean, I, I think mean, it's certainly possible. And to that end, so I, I, I do an, a, an annual NFL agent survey mm-hmm. where agents give me anonym, uh, uh, answer anonymously to a bunch of questions. And the one I did was just a couple of months ago. One of the questions was, what do you think of the, the job that Demora Smith is doing and you know agents can be all over the place they're answering them independently of one another there was a pretty strong consensus that they are not a big fan of him and i'm sort of saying that lightly like the, right. they, the, the, there were a lot of you can read the article there were a lot of strong comments against what demora smith is doing so not that the agents have sway in the matter but obviously their clients are players so therefore maybe they have some and the fact that it even got to the point where there had to be a, a, a potentially this bigger vote right. as you're mentioning where in the previous years he just kind of breezed through, I think shows that there was some discontent uh, with this. There was discontent with the last labor cycle. I mean, obviously it depends on who you are. Do you have star players? Do you have rank and file players as to how you view it? And that's always going to be the case, I guess. But there were definitely a lot of people were not in favor of him. So I agree. I think that was my own initial thought was, wow, this is interesting timing that the NFL maybe kind of wants Demore Smith to stay because right. they think they've done pretty well and the timing is interesting. So I would say, I mean, I would say on that front, A, you know, like if you not just talk to agents, but in general, if you look at sort of the 2011 CBA and then the most recent CBA, like most people who are impartial observers would agree at the owners won both times. Um, now, and I've done some, uh, in full disclosure, I've done some work, some investigative stuff, some reporting around the NFLPA. This is four or five years ago now. Um, and I walked away from that being not especially impressed with the leadership of the NFLPA. That includes Demar Smith, but it's not exclusive to him. Um, on the other hand, I will just say very, very quickly, uh, that is an extremely difficult job. Like running any sports union is difficult. Going against the owners is very difficult, um, but it's particularly difficult in football for a bunch of reasons, especially because this, the careers are so short. It's such a violent sport. Uh, so much of the money is not guaranteed it's very, very hard to ultimately threaten a strike. And if you can't do that, you only have so much power. That's why the baseball union always does so much better than the football union, right? So I just want to say in terms of like, it is plausible out of all that, that the owners would want D. Smith to stay around. But if that was the only leak, I would believe that theory sort of more. The fact that the second leak of emails came out after that and they're much worse and much more devastating to Gruden but also pull in Bruce Allen and also call the league culture into question and also remind everybody of this Wilkinson report that basically was like a slap on the wrist a fine and we're not going to really tell you the public anything that's going on I don't see any upside for the NFL itself to be leaking any of that just to get rid of John Gruden so that's why I'm really confused as to what is going on here. So, right. So, right. I agree with you. So like, I, I think I'm correct, but this is so much has now happened. D- didn't over the, at some point, it was, a, I think Adam Schefter had a story on Sunday that he talked to John Gruden on Friday and John Gruden said something to the effect of, he also said disparaging things about Roger Goodell in the same batch of emails. But he's, I, and I sort of got the sense of like noticing that he's, he's pointing out that that didn't get, leaked because to the point of the demora smith thing that maybe isn't serving the nfl's agenda but i think gruden was trying to say at that point i'm i'm an equal opportunist uh asshole basically right or, or something <laughs> i think so, he was I mean, Rod, look roger goodell is also not an especially popular figure in american culture or among nfl players so i am sure that like if it was just emails where he was saying bad things about roger goodell 
John Green would probably still be working right now. And like, even if he had said bad things that were like homophobic or misogynist about Roger Goodell, probably could have gotten away with that, I think. Not sure, but I think so. But it's with all this other stuff, it's like no chance. And like I said, it isn't just about John Gruden. And that's what's so interesting. And that's why I don't think at least the second round of stuff was leaked by the league intentionally because it only creates a PR nightmare for them. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that, that's why. So once everything else happens, you're like, whoa, that, that's a lot. That's a lot to get through. And like John Gruden isn't just a regular coach. He is one of the bigger names, you know, in this sport. I saw somebody make the point that like John Gruden has kind of, de- in many ways, he's been a guy who's like defined, maybe not individually, but he's kind of defined the NFL for the last, yeah. you know, 30 years as a coach, I mean, he's, he's, the month. Monday night broadcaster, pit, commercial pitch man, the, the Chucky face. Like, yep. you, you think football, like, like John Gruden he, is the guy on some level. I think culturally, he's not close to what John Madden right. once was for the NFL, but he's the closest thing we have now in our much more fragmented culture. Nobody could be John Madden now, right, for football, but he's kind of like the closest thing you could have in 2020, 2021 to John Madden for football. So I agree with you. There isn't a lot of upside for the sport of football to have this all come out about John Gruden. So it makes me wonder, you know, what else is going on here? And one of the things I wonder, and I'm just going to put on my total like conspiracy theory speculative hat right now is either, is there, is there a struggle internally at the NFL or is there a struggle internally with the law firm, the NFL hired to investigate the Washington football team where they were not happy with the results of the NFL's investigation, they were not happy mm-hmm. with what seemed like a slap on wrist. They were not happy with the lack of transparency. And this stuff is being sort of leaked slowly as a warning of like, we have this stuff, we can make it real bad for a lot of you if you don't do something more. This is just speculation, right? But I'm just kind of curious because I'm, I'm trying to figure out what's the motive otherwise. Yeah, no, that, and, and that's a great thought. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that, about that, about, um, about the you know perhaps somebody with the law firm so it does get to the interesting idea right like on the one hand if we're going with the idea that somehow this is the nfl then mm-hmm. i understand why they didn't um there's nothing out about dan snyder right stuff already in the public i mean yeah 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 no no there's 20 years there's 20 years of stuff i know, just... I know by the way i think we should also keep in mind a lot of the people who came forward to either speak in the post and or speak with the wilkinson investigators right mostly women, right? They have since come forward and been like, release the report. Like, we need more transparency. Put this out there. Like, we've risked a lot talking about this. Like, they're not happy. At least a lot of them are not happy with how the NFL decided to then take action on what it found out, right? So there's, the, there's that too. Like, like, it's not, but I think I, my sense is that this was something that, that otherwise like fans, the public had kind of moved on from for better or worse, I just decided get back to football. Let's move forward. Excited about watching football again. And now you have people like us talking about this. And I'm sure that there are fans wondering beyond just the John Gruden part of it. Like it's reminding them about what happened here in Washington, right? It's not helping the NFL's agenda or Washington's agenda of moving forward from that, right? So again, it really makes it seem like unlikely that someone with the NFL would want this out there. Right. So if it is, so if there is something else out there, if there's somebody else, then it, then it does beg the question, okay, 
you know, we're right now up on Capitol Hill, there's been a, a, a Facebook whistleblower talking for the last, you know, few days or last week or at least track of time here. And, you know, that's obviously that's interesting for that story. So is that something that could potentially come out of here? I mean, obviously, some people have seen these things, whether it's people at the law firm or people with the league. Um, and I don't know if you saw this or not today, but it was pointed out to me that it, back in 2014, Dan Snyder did an interview and it was written about by our friend Dan Steinberg when Dan Steinberg wrote things. Um, uh, he Dan did his classic, you know, transcribing more or less right. an interview and, and, and re reacting off of that. But it, in this 2014 interview, Dan Snyder apparently revealed that he doesn't do email. <laughs> so, yeah. um, which is of course bizarre on a hundred levels and yet seems almost perfect for, 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 for how we think of him. So I don't necessarily know that there would be emails really, you know, connecting him to any of this or, or anything else, but yes, again, there's other things out there. So it do, it does make me wonder, like, will this reach a point now that it's been given new, new life? Not that I'm not saying it went away as, as somebody who covers a team, I can tell you it hasn't, but Right. At the same time, now it's a, it's a different scope. Now I've seen just over the last 24 hours, all kinds of columns and all kinds of people say, hey, we need these out there. Apparently, I think USA Today has the NFLPA is going to request that the Wilkinson Report findings be made public. Right. And so on. So um, it is interesting to see, like, I get Goodell is probably going to continue to, to, to stonewall this. It's going to protect their own. To the point I was making earlier, there is a difference between the owners and the worker bees. It's one of the reasons right. why, without trying to get political here, that it's so frustrating when we deal with some of the other big topics in, in the presidential or other elections, in which it seems like the people below, you know, the the, 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 the people out of power should be so much more connected to each other because right. everything that the people up top are doing is affecting everybody to a certain degree the right. same because it's not about individuals, it's about they maintaining control. They don't do it. And so similar here, they're going to protect one of their own. By the way, there's also, you got to ask the question, why would they do that, right? I mean, right. Dan Snyder, I don't know whether you think he's a litigious guy, he's got dirt on other people. There's a reason they're doing this. They'll find somebody else to buy the team. That's not the uh, issue. I mean, look at look at how long, let, let's go to another another sports owner with some extremely like troubled and bad uh, takes and thoughts and actions. Donald Sterling with the LA Clippers. Look at how long and what it actually took to get rid of him, to get him out of the NBA. And that tells you a lot about like how sports owners look at each other and how they sort of protect each other, even if they don't like or agree with each other. There is sort of an element of like, well, we're all in this together slash like, if I don't look out for you, I could be next on the chopping block. Right. I just think there's a mentality of that there, whether it's right or wrong. I think that's that's kind of how a lot of them look at it. Um, I think Mark Cuban, when 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 the Donald Sterling vote went down and I hope I'm not getting it wrong. I think Mark Cuban made some comment like, look, yeah, I'm, I'm, this guy's not great. But uh, just to be clear, if we do this, be, we any one of us might be next. So keep that in mind that obviously. That's, you know, he almost was that guy. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the ultimate thing to, to a lot of these owners is like, I, I made it. I'm one of the 30 people in the world that gets to own this thing, to have this toy. And I'll be damned if anything takes that away from me, right? Like that's kind of like their ultimate value above everything else when it comes to this. Again, for good or for bad or worse. And in my, in my, you know, in my opinion, very much worse. But um, so I, I, do, I do wonder. And also, I think one last thing we should, we should, probably be clear about with the Wilkes report is like that's a law firm 
being hired by the NFL to investigate an NFL team. Well, technically, so that, they were hired by Dan Snyder first. Okay, which was yeah, bizarre. I was going to say that's even crazier. And then the well, NFL I mean, took over. Yeah. yeah. But even if the NFL takes over, what is the NFL? The NFL is the 30 owners, right? So ultimately, like it is not a it is not a fully independent investigation by any any sense of the term, right? It just isn't, right? And now they, they some of those types of when, when companies investigate themselves, right? Sometimes they can do a very credible job, and sometimes not. Sometimes usually it's kind of in between. Um, so we should also like. Hey, if this ever actually does come out, like, are we going to even get the full investigation, right? Or we get some redacted or edited or whatever version? We don't really know, right? We've seen, you mentioned like bigger politics and things like that. We saw how that can work uh, during the last presidential administration in terms of like full reports versus summaries and who gets to edit them and things like that, right? Uh, shout out to Bill Barr. Uh, but we also don't know, like, even if we were to get the full version of this report, like, how deep did they dig? How much did they, what did they really want to find out, right? And, and because, again, you shouldn't have to question that stuff, but because of who's paying for it, you do have to question that. So and we're probably never going to know the full extent of what the culture was and what was going on with the Washington football team, but we certainly can get closer. And so I do kind of personally support these calls for like, get more disinformation out there, be more transparent. You know, the, the reporting that was done that led to this investigation was really good, but of course there's going to be more there. And I do think if you're a fan, right, even if you're just a fan of football, you should want to know this stuff. Like, I do think that part of being a fan is not just caring about wins and losses, but also sort of caring about like the people and the organization, the thing that you're spending all this time, money, effort, and affection on. Like, I, I, maybe that makes me naive or old fashioned or weird or stupid, but I think most fans would look at it the same way. Well, I don't think you're naive or old fashioned for thinking that you may be naive and thinking a lot of other fans give a crap. Cause I do think a lot of fans are able to compartmentalize that this product that they love, that they will go on Twitter or elsewhere and say, it's the greatest right. thing of all time while simultaneous, but and it, I guess just choosing to ignore or whatever compartmentalize, like I said, that <laughs> there's people involved who are unsavory characters. If you said to the local hardware store, you took the exact same principles, you'd probably think, well, I'll just go to Home Depot instead or do what, you know what I mean? Like you wouldn't go to that place. But right. in this case, the NFL has, it's the one product. The, the, there is right. no other product of this kind like it. And people choose to, if not look the other way, they ignore it. Again, I cover the team. I'm not being, I'm not being a hypocrite. This is the job I have. But I'm just saying like, in terms of, there are a lot of people who I do think rah 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 football's the best and then they're just going to choose to ignore the I mean, rest I, of it I, look i understand I can, I can even understand you look i i like eating steaks right i like eating, i like eating chicken i like yeah. meat right i'm not i'm not a vegetarian um slaughterhouses are pretty terrible the working conditions are really terrible and if you spent any time reading about that or checking out any investigative journals about that it it's not great right. and that's an understatement and it's, it's so not great to the point of like making you question your own, like, do I want to keep doing this? Do I want to support this by like controlling this behavior? And ultimately I make the choice to do that, right? Same thing with our, our phones, right? All sorts of like terrible labor practices go into making these like smartphones that we all have and all sorts of stuff, right? So I, I don't think, like, like I said, I don't, I don't think it's a case of like, you can't still be a fan if you know about this stuff. But I do, I, I think not all, but I do think a lot of fans would still want to know. And also they would want to pressure for, for change, right? That's the other thing is like, if you have more transparency with this Wilkerson report or any other kind of reporting, then like, 
it helps me as a fan evaluate, okay, the, the Washington football team is, is making some moves and saying that they're turning a new page, right? That they're changing their culture, that they're going to be better, that they're going to learn from these, like what you could charitably call mistakes and uncharitably call, you know, just like disastrously intentional decisions, right? But how do I really evaluate that if I don't know the whole story of like what the problems were in the first place, right? It's hard for me to evaluate your solutions if you're hiding what the problem was for me. And I think that that's, that's one of the important things. I mean, just again, from a pure fandom standpoint of like why you should want to know about this. Yeah, no, I, 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 I agree with all that. And I'm with you on some of the, my personal hypocrisies on things. So totally with you, but yeah, it's important to, I think at a minimum, think about it, right. It, just do that. And this is this whole situation. I guess hopefully it's forced a lot of people to think about that, about their, blind love in the NFL and also what is happening here. Oh, you know, that, that was, uh, uh, I appreciate you letting me put the tinfoil hat on and ponder a few <laughs> of these things um, here. Um, all right. No, no easy transition from a serious topic to a silly one, but we're going to do it here in the last couple of minutes to have with you. Uh, as I said, the wizards is, is how we, um, is how we bonded, but I don't, we talked, we, we began connecting back when they were a playoff team with John Wall right. and Bradley Beal. And it's amazing I mean, you know, things change, but it's amazing how much has changed probably since last time, at least we did a podcast together. Um, I don't know if we did it post Ernie Grunfeld was gone, but, you know, new GM, Scott Brooks is gone. John Wall's gone. Really, other than Bradley Beal, the whole roster is completely turned over. And they've obviously been fairly miserable over the last few years. Now, technically, they, well, not technically, they did make the playoffs last year. The Russell Westbrook era was a one and done, but it was a lot of, fun i guess you could say now, now that it's over and they obviously were really good down the stretch to make the playoffs and then you know, the playoffs kind of predict went predict as you know kind of predictably um mm-hmm. uh, there but okay it's a new it's a new day it's a new era maybe there's room for optimism maybe you're like hey they got bradley beal a bunch of interesting young dudes scott brooks is gone i don't even care who's the coach or maybe you're like yeah it's the same uh i've seen this song and dance they should have traded beal they're going nowhere what's the point of living i don't know where you're going to come from so tell me <laughs> Where are you at with the Washington Wizards? So first of all, you're right. Like since the last time we really talked about this, it has been, and to use Ben Standig, one of your catchphrases, it is, it's been a minute. So for, certainly been a minute since we discussed this. Um, as one of, you know, as I always say, as one of the 12 Washington Wizards fans in the city, um, I have mixed feelings about what's going on. And what I mean is this, on one hand, I look at the current roster and, I like. I have no idea if this is a borderline playoff team or not. I don't think they're much more than that. I'm not sure they're any better, really, overall than maybe they were last year. Not when they were having, you know, their their incredible stretch of like Russell Westbrook for a month just like takes over and puts a team on his back, and they beat up on a bunch of bad teams. Right? That was really fun, and they were and they were pretty good during that time. Like all by all the numbers, they were really good. Um, and I don't think they were quite as bad last year as they were at the start of the season when they had an injured Westbrook, all the COVID stuff, like just, they were truly, truly atrocious. Uh, to me, this looks like a team that is, you know, probably f- as usual fighting for the eighth seed, right. Or fighting for the ninth seed, I guess now that we've got the play in game and uh, you know, I'm, I, that, that's okay. It's not where I really want to be as a fan, but like, I guess that's, I, I don't, I don't think they're just that overwhelmingly talented. Right. But what I really think is different beyond, like you said, that you know, obviously Scott Brooks is gone. Ernie Grunfeld has gone. You know, a lot of the decision makers are different now. For the first time that I can remember, like really since 
I guess the disastrous summer of 2016 free agent non-bonanza, this team actually has potential financial roster flexibility. Like it's not, the team you see on the court right now is not locked in. And the only moves available are like to go find Drew Good in the sport and health. You know what I mean? Like, or or like, where's Will Bynum? Bring him over for China to be in a playoff game. You know what I mean? Like, we don't have to, um, we, the Wizards don't have to do that, right? They actually have, I think, a lot of players on reasonable contracts, making reasonable value that are movable, that are tradable. Like, they actually have options to sort of shape or reshape or try to build a roster that ultimately makes sense. I can win some games, right? Whether they have that right now or not, I'm not really sure. I don't think they're like going to be the worst team in the East, but I don't really see how they're much better. Like if everything went well, then maybe that's like a seven seed team. Maybe, you know, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't, I don't really see enough talent there. Like everything you could say about Russell Westbrook, like the Russell Westbrook experience, boy, the good, the bad, the amazing, the spectacularly non-amazing. It was all there last year. I mean, he is a singular guy to watch. I really enjoyed the fact that he was just, there's nothing, no one else really quite like him. And to the extent to which he really, really helps you win, I'm not sure. I think he really raises the floor in a bad team, but I'm not sure how much of the ceiling he raises on a good team, right? And I'm saying that like all people that follow the NBA much more closely, sort of, that's their take on him. But it was fun and it was interesting. And without him, you know, they have a lot of just parts now, guys that can play roles and sometimes excel in them. But, are the, you know, the thing about role players is, like, do they fit together right? And it's a sum greater than the whole. It's the, is the whole – is a sum greater than the parts? And I don't know. We haven't seen that yet. And we got a new coach, right? So we don't really know what he's going to be about. Uh, and they have a couple of young guys still that it's, like, very hard to know what they are, right? Everybody likes Daniel Gafford. He looks pretty good. Like, can he play effectively for more than 20 minutes? Don't know yet. Rui, Denny, no idea what those guys are going to be, if anything. Yeah. Well, so just to, um, just to cut you off there, like, so um, how do I say this without sounding like a self-serving <laughs> idiot? Uh, so like the, the, the previous version of this, of my podcast with this, like when I was at that point of my wizard's interest level, like I had a lot of thoughts. I'd, yeah. I, I mean, I'd been a fan of this team growing up and then I had covered them for a while. And like, I really had some thoughts and there was no really like wizard. There was, there was a lot of like wizards, um, state tv kind of talk and there was some people who would sort of delve into things but there wasn't a lot of people talking like trying to talk handily about it and i think right. i was doing that and i think that's one of the reasons like some people like you were like oh what's going on here um and because i had a lot of thoughts that i thought were pretty my instincts on that team have been pretty good and what's unique about the situation where like even the last couple of years when i was started to cover the football team I didn't have to like, I didn't have to be out of the wizards all the time to still know what was happening because I knew what was going on with Scott Brooks. I had a feel for most of the players, right? like all that stuff, but it is all very different. And for the first time in, I don't even know how many years, I really don't know what to make of this team. I think realistically, if everything goes well, you know, their ceiling is probably not better than a six seed, which, you know, is not like, we can look, look if the goal cannot be, they got to win a title or else, because obviously that's unrealistic. No. And, and typically, you know, it, over the last 40 years, there's a very small handful of teams that have ever, ever won. There's, one. there's a small handful of players in any given season that you have to have on your team to have a chance to win the title every year. There's probably like, I don't know, three to seven guys. We don't want those guys in your team. You have no chance to win the title. If you have one of those guys, it's not a guarantee, but it just gets you in the door. 
right? And I think that's just how the NBA is. And they've never had one of those guys, right? At least not right. since they won a title back in the 70s. Yeah, so. for sure. So what I think is interesting is, and you made this point, like, look, Russell Westbrook was a lot of things. He was exciting and entertaining, but he was not a guy that you're going to win with. Ultimately, he's only getting through somewhere. I think personally, the situation with him and LeBron, people will, will no matter, it will say how great it is when they're winning 55 games during the regular season. And it will absolutely stink in the playoffs when Russell Westbrook's going to want to dominate the ball and he can't play off the ball and he can't shoot and LeBron's dominating the ball. But that's, that's another story. My point is that Westbrook, he, they, they, the, that Tommy Shepard turned the John Wall terrible contract yes. into, into one year of Westbrook and then do what you just said. He got a bunch of stuff. None of the individual pieces are, are nearly as good as Westbrook. But instead of having this one behemoth of a contract that is very difficult to move, I know they just moved them, but I mean, like in theory, it's not easy. You need a, there, an incredibly there, motivated. The, the other, yeah. What were the other Russell Westbrook moves? You needed an incredibly motivated buyer in LeBron James, basically, right. to to want this to happen. Otherwise, he's probably still on, on this team. Um, and they now have a lot of guys you can move if you want. They have some interesting young players. I have no idea whether Wes Unseld and his staff will be able to get the most out of them because how, how would anybody know that? If anybody tells you they know, don't listen to them. Just stop. Right. To, nobody knows. Uh, we'll see. Uh, and, you know, and you go from there. And so if they can, tur- if some of these guys, if Kyle Kuzma can look like the guy who was a rookie, look like he could be a star in this league. If Rui Hachimura or Denny Avia or Corey Kispert, even if just one of them turns into a high rotation player, that success. I like Spencer Dinwiddie pre-injury. Uh, you know, it, it sounds promising with from what I hear over there, but like, you know, we'll have to, We'll have to see. You mentioned Daniel Gafford. He, he was a lot of fun late last right. season. What's the next step for him? Can he be a guy that can stay on the court 30 to 35 minutes, maybe do get one offensive move beyond just being doing putbacks? But okay, if you can do these things and with Bradley Beal, and then you're the team that has these interesting contracts. So when the next James Harden type guy says, I want out of here, wherever that here is, and you can say, well, we've got this, we got this, we got, well, maybe you can get that other guy. Whatever it is, it's an interesting group. And to that end, I'm excited to see where it goes. On the other hand, I still feel that this is a team that basically the owner, as my point has always been, the owner is not trying to really compete for a title. He's trying to get into the playoffs. There's revenue there. If you get into the playoffs, it means you probably had a decent enough year that fans will show up in the regular season. As he, he has said, he will never tank, which is why he basically couldn't trade Bradley Beal, even if they wanted to after moving Westbrook, which I think is something they should have considered, even if historically I've been saying keep Beal because you know it's not easy to get that kind of guy back. So um, th- th- it, I guess my bottom line is I don't know what to make of this team in and of itself. That makes it interesting. And, uh, you know, I guess we'll just see what some of these young guys can do with this new coach. Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I to me, the thing that's so different is for the first time in so many years, you know, and largely because they were able, and this is where I give, I, you know, the, the front office, whether it was luck or skill or both, they were able to, I hate to use this term, but they were able to get off of John Wall's contract and, tr- and turn it into movable contracts, right? And it stinks that as fans, we have to think this way, right? I blame all the salary caps and all those other things that like, I, I, that just saves owners money, you know, per, in my, in my perfect world, no, that would exist. But anyway, um, I think it gives this team, like, it, it just, it gives it a chance to, we don't have, you know, you said, we'll see for the first time in a long time, it's kind of like a, we'll see situation with the wizards and the, but also not like, we'll see how this team does because this is your team 
end of season, right? On, on basically on opening night, it's like, we'll see a lot. Of, it can go a lot of ways, right? They, they also have the flexibility now. Like if it turns out this isn't very good and Beal finally does want out of this situation and, and, and tells them that, and it seems like they have a good relationship. So I, I think he would give them some warning and some chance to deal him for something instead of them getting nothing. You know, they can actually do that and they could probably solve some of these other parts and go into like a full start with the draft kind of rebuild, right? Well, like you said, if it's something where like we think we can add some st- more stuff around Beal, they have some flexibility to try and do that. Whether that would be successful or not, I'm not sure. No one knows until you do it. But it, it's just so different than it's been the last couple of years where it's like you had, at one point you had, you know, Beal, Porter, and Wall. And it was like, okay, whatever, like, really minimum contract guys you can add or like oh we have this one summer we can spend money but we blew it on a bunch of guys that can't play and now we're even in worse shape with that right they're finally not in that position anymore and so to me as a as a fan it's more interesting even though the product on the court might not look incredibly different just the idea that that product can actually change in a non-marginal way definitely makes it more intriguing and the one bad contract you could say they have is Davis Bertans, but he at least has a skill set right. that contenders covet. Like, you know, for the Wizards, it's it's challenging. If he's your third best player, we saw how much of a liability is on defense. But if you were to actually, if a contender is like, hey, we just need you to stand in the corner for LeBron or Steph Curry or Kevin Durant or whatever, that's a whole other story. So I think that contract if, is also yeah. movable because just for that reason. If you need to get rid of, Bertans, there's at some point in the next season or two, there's definitely going to be a contender. You're not going to get anything. You might get like a pair of second round picks that don't convert and like an expiring contract or something like that, right? But there's he does have a very useful NBA skill. In fact, a skill I would argue in some ways is probably more helpful to a contending team than one treading water. Um, I think you I think you can move him, right? It's not like you're going to have to give up a first round pick. It's not Andrew Nicholson's situation. <laughs> Right. You're not going to have to dump a first round pick just to get rid of him. Like, so in that sense, and that's, like I said, that's just a big difference. There's no Mahinis. There's no Andrew Nicholson's. Yeah. And like, for me, like that beyond the roster, the, 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 the moves that have been made, the, like my, my, my take is always this. I don't, I, this is going to sound, I know weird, but hang with me. I don't always judge everything based on the end result because ultimately all the moves we talk about are involving assessing what human beings will do in, in various contexts, whether that's a 20 year old, how they're going to mature and grow up, whether it's a 30 year old and how they accept a new role, who knows people, we all right. You don't always know what people are going through. So no matter what moves are made, life is weird. And you don't always know how things are going to go, go. But what I look at is what's the theory behind the move in the first place. As I've said a hundred times, and never made second from the moment they offered the contract to have given Mahimi that deal when you had March and Gortat. You couldn't play them together. Forget the fact you were overpaying Mahimi by uh, $16 million a year. You were probably overpaying by like $10 million each, right? Forget all that. It just didn't make any sense. But almost everything, not everything, but almost everything that Tommy Shepard has done since he's taken over makes logical sense to me. Now, I didn't like the Davis Bertans extension I said in the moment, but okay, I understood it. Uh, and again, he he can do one thing that is particularly valuable in this day and age. But for the most part, he's done a very good job of taking the little thing and making it into a bigger thing down the line. The Troy Brown situation, mm-hmm. we easily could have been screaming, hey, there's a first round pick, the 15th pick in the draft. You're getting rid of him already? 
Yeah, he did. And he got Daniel Gafford, who I liked uh, at that moment, but he was even better right. than, 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 than expected. I, mean, you know, what, I was going to say, what Shepard has been able to do that I think deserves a lot of credit for is he, with the start of this season, he has finally dug the franchise out of the enormous, enormous future squandering, asset squandering, uh, stuck in place crater that Grunfeld left it in, right? And again, I don't know if, you know, with Grunfeld is always that question of like, well, is this what Leon's just wanted from him, right? We'll, we'll never really know, like to what extent Ted calls the shots, he doesn't cause the shots. I was never a fan of Grunfeld's moves, but that was always something that people brought up, right? Is like, it's not just Grunfeld. But Shepard has done a, I think, an incredible job of just getting this franchise back to sort of squares, you know, back to like neutral, right? Back to where like you aren't like, you know, the mortgage is paid off essentially, right? Now what are you going to do with the house, right? The house is not maybe in great shape, but the mortgage is finally paid off and you can actually do something with the house. And that's, so I think A, in terms of like, what remains to be seen is A, like what kind of like building forward moves is Shepard good at, you know, like he's, he's, he's shown that he can do some of these marginal moves. That's great because they never did any of that under Grunfeld. Um, and he's shown that he can over time unwind mistakes that Grunfeld made. And that's great. But in terms of going forward, you know, can he, can he make that move where like he is actually getting back better than what he, what he sent out, right? You could make a case with Gafford that maybe he did that, right? Um, and then the other big thing, the huge thing, and this is where it's never been great for this franchise is, can they actually hit on draft picks and then develop them? Right. I and think it's that... really, really hard if you can't do that. It's just really hard, especially if you're not a destination city or you don't have one of those seven or eight guys we talked about. It's really hard to be have sustainable success if you can't do that. And that's a huge open question. We actually have no idea yet whether Correct. you can do that or not. I do think that is the big question because, I mean, Rui Hachimura – you know, his career's had some sort of fits and starts because of some injuries and other things. Um, and then you have, uh, you know, Denny Avdia, his, his year was interrupted last year. I don't think he was, he was not a good fit with Westbrook because he needs to be the ball more and Westbrook, obviously nobody else is getting the ball <laughs> in theory, but he was there. And we'll, obviously we'll see about Kisper. It sounds like they're, they're liking what they see so far, but we'll see, but you're right. That's ultimately, you got to hit on draft picks. It's not realistically, right. you're going to hit on everyone. You got to turn water into wine though, at some point and make some of these guys, you know, you got to overachieve on that front as well, or at least get some, you know, singles and doubles and not, and not, right. and avoid the strikeouts, uh, which obviously they were not always able to do um, previously. Yeah. And, and to me, and to me, the, the, the jury is very much out on all the guys you just mentioned. Like, I have no idea. I have no, I have no particular confidence that any of them are going to develop into like good players or even, you know, just league average at the position players. They're not so far. So we'll find out, you know, I mean, they all have certain tools that make you squint your eyes and think, okay, maybe this can happen. I mean, look, that's also true with a lot of players that are drafted and young players, right? I'm not trying to single them out because in general, almost no NBA players come into the NBA and are good right away. Like only a handful of like star people ever do that. So we'll have to wait and see, but I mean, I am, I am somewhat concerned uh, in terms of, you know, with Kispert, okay, he can actually shoot, and that's good, but they still, before that, with Rui and with Denny, to some extent, it seems like still drafting guys who can't dribble and can't shoot, so I'm not sure what you are and what you actually do on the floor, um, but, you know, hopefully they can develop those things. You know, I remember when Beal came in, he could shoot. He did not have anything like the handle he has now, 
he went from having a fairly mediocre handle to having an excellent handle. So it is possible to improve, but in general, when you think about it, like players only tend to improve so much in the NBA. There's a handful of guys that improve wildly past what you would expect. And there's some people that never improve at all. But I mean, it's, it's, it's not a great sign if in the first year or two, you don't see flashes of the player that someone can become. And I'm not sure with the Wizards young guys, obviously Kispert, we haven't seen anything yet. But with Denny and Rui, if we've seen tremendous flashes, maybe a little bit with Rui once in a while. Um, all right. I know we've seen tremendous flashes <laughs> from you uh, in your in your prolific career. You are a busy guy. I got to let you go. What, tell everybody what the where they can find you, what, what they should be knowing about what Patrick Ruby has going on in the world. Well, uh, a couple of things you can always, every now and then you can find me in the Washington Post magazine. I, I uh, contribute st- longer stories there. Uh, you can find me a lot. at something called Arizona State University's Global Sport Matters, where I write and also I'm an editor at large. Uh, we cover a lot of sort of outside the line sport and society stuff. Uh, we have monthly issues. Uh, check that stuff out for sure. Uh, and I also have a newsletter, which is updated, uh, not particularly frequently lately because I'm busy, uh, but it's Real Sports at Substack. So H-R-E-A-L Sports. Uh, and that's at Substack. Uh, you can just, you can find me, there, you can find my work there. And you can find me on Twitter at Patrick underscore Ruby. Uh, and that's a silent H. So it's H-R-U-B-Y. How is uh, that? Yeah, it's a lot going on, but that's, you know, <laughs> look, that's good stuff. You, he's, Patrick's a very good Twitter follow. And as you heard the passion, both on serious topics and nonsense topics, uh, he has things to say and uh, is an important voice out there on all these kinds of topics, including the Washington Wizards. Uh, Patrick, we'll, we'll, we'll have to do this again once the games get going. And, uh, you know, maybe we will uh, meet up with our other conspirators uh, for, for an adult beverage here at some point. We'd love to do that. And let me ask you one last thing. Uh, what is going on with uh, with the Wizards coverage with you, with your shop, with the athletic? Are, are, are you going to be pitching in with that? I know uh, Fred Katz has ascended to Nick's Valhalla. So I'm wondering what's uh, what's the story there? Uh, yeah, I, I, I talked about this on the podcast the other day. People were kind enough with the second Fred made his announcement to ask, oh, well, I know you wanted the Wizards job at some point. So I assume you're doing this to which I was like, now that ship has sailed. Uh, I've moved on. <laughs> um, last I've heard, just to be honest, is we're hiring somebody. Uh, so that's the good news. I, you know, these uh, corporate America, or I guess we're not, I don't, I don't know. Do we get, does the athletic count as corporate America? I don't know. But in any way, it takes a minute for these things to get going. So I don't sure. know. I don't know where they are in the process. Obviously the season is starting any minute. The good thing is at a minimum, we have some guy named David Aldridge to uh he does a few things about the nba right (laughs) right right at a minimum that and i'll i'll help you out here talking about it on the podcast um i don't know i've 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 suggested that i'm willing to talk about the wizards weekly if somebody can make it worth my while internally or externally uh so we'll see how that goes but no i i I will other than maybe showing up for a game or two to watch and keep my toe into a team i've I've invested a lot of time in I, i will not be transitioning into wizards coverage but hopefully we'll get somebody good to to do that all right well if you need someone to talk about them i am again one of the 10 to 12 people actually watching these preseason games so happy to come on and give my uh unfiltered and mostly uninformed thoughts (laughs) awesome man i appreciate it we'll talk soon all right take care all right wow okay that was a lot many thanks to washington left tackle charles leno to our chiefs insider nate taylor and to uh, journalist extraordinaire Patrick Ruby for their time 
Thanks, of course, everybody here for checking out the podcast, for checking me out on The Athletic, and for hopefully just, uh, you know, being good. Stay stay strong. There's a lot going on with this team, with the league, the world. There's always, it's always a lot happening. I hope everyone is hanging in there. Um, you know, take care of yourself and love everybody who uh, who's in your world. Uh, crazy times. Um, I don't even know what I'm saying. It's been a long, it's been a long one. It's been a long few days, but that's it for now. Ben Standick signing off until next time. See ya.